welcome back to the DocSF podcast series, where we're showcasing just a few of the outstanding speakers from the Digital Orthopedics Conference San Francisco. My name is Dan Kendall, host of the Digital Health Today podcast, and this DocSF series of podcasts is brought to you in partnership with the Health Podcast Network. We're just days away from the 2019 event. It's being held in San Francisco on January 5th and 6th, and I can't wait to be there. If you're listening to this and you've already missed it, don't worry. We're already planning our second season of this podcast, where we'll bring you a selection of the speakers and sessions from the 2019 DocSF and RockSF. RockSF, of course, is the regenerative orthopedic conference that Stefano spoke about back in our first episode. I'm pleased to be joined here again by the conference founder and chair, Dr. Stefano Bini. Welcome back. Thanks, Dan. It's been really exciting to have this podcast going. Now, at the end of the previous episode, I asked listeners to let us have their feedback, and that invitation is still open. I know you and I really want that feedback so we can make this podcast and the Doc SF and the Rock SF conferences as successful as possible. You can get me that feedback, of course, by dropping me an email at dan at healthpodcastnetwork.com or dan at hpn.health. Now, I know that you personally listen to a lot of podcasts and that you've been a guest on several podcasts. But this is the first one that you've helped to create. So I also want to ask you, what's the experience and the feedback been like on your side? Oh, it's been outstanding. And thank you for letting us uh, partner with you. And uh, we, I think that the experience has been outstanding. So we look forward to partnering with you again next year to bring the DocSF19 content and the RockSF19 content to our audience. Well, I'm looking forward to that too. But first, I have to tell you, I'm really looking forward to attending the event in person because as good as these sessions were to listen to again as we were producing this series, they really don't hold a candle to attending live. You've got a great community of leaders and decision makers who are driving change in healthcare and they're coming to this event. So I'm delighted to produce the next series of podcasts, but I'm also really excited to attend again in January 2019. Last year, there was a big focus on AI, and the speakers we're going to hear from next sort of kicked off the breakout sessions, which were, I believe, four breakout sessions, all of which had early-stage businesses that were focused on AI solutions. What can you tell us about the speakers we're going to hear from in this episode? Again, super excited. We had uh, Keir Reed, the chief health officer for IBM Watson, kind of talk about the role of AI in healthcare. I think his take on it was quite, uh, quite enlightening, and it was perfect foil to Ralph Gonzalez, who's the associate dean for clinical innovation and the chief innovation officer for UCSF Health. And he came in and spoke to us about the challenges which I would also consider opportunities for digital health companies to solve as he sees them from the perspective of a, of a, of a healthcare system. So we had this huge multinational uh, talking about some, this really cool technology called Watson Health, but really more talking about the role of AI and where it can help us. And then the, the chief innovation officer of healthcare system talking about the opportunities within healthcare. It was a perfect combination. Excellent. So two speakers in this episode. Let's go ahead and cue that up. Here's Dr. Q. Ree and Dr. Ralph Gonzalez. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, but telling your story is a very important part. And while I listened to the startups and I heard um, their stories, and I, I want to tell a little bit about mine, but I really want this to be an opportunity for me to listen and learn more than, more than talk. But um, I do, when it comes to AI, and, and, and when it comes to my story, I think about myself about 10 years ago with this picture, <laughs> working in an underserved community in Baltimore as a primary care physician, as an internist and pediatrician, and being challenged with the EMR at the time, 
and looking to serve the patients that we had, many of whom had a broad range of issues, chronic diseases, the opioid epidemic, all these other issues, and then being in this situation and not thinking, not even imagining 10 years from then, I would be here <laughs> in front of a bunch of orthopedic surgeons talking about digital health and being the chief health officer for I. So I have to admit, it's amazing how um, your story leads you down different paths, and I'm looking forward to having a number of other paths with the people I'll meet uh, today and, and with you and Stefano. So as I think about what I'm doing now and what we're trying to do in AI and how that relates to what I was faced with then and what we're all faced with, and many of us are faced with this big data challenge. We don't have enough time. We have too much we need to know. And the science keeps getting updated all the time. And so it's humanly impossible for any person natural intelligence to maintain and be able to track up all that information as you do your best on behalf of that patient or that family that you're trying to serve. I reflect on myself and my father and how he has multiple medical issues and how I'm challenged to keep up to date to make sure that he's getting the best care. I trust the doctors he has, but I'm still looking for that science. So this idea of AI supporting humans is it's, we're in a new era. And so at this early stage of this era, you have startups. IBM and Watson Health likes to say it's a startup. It's a little bit of a bigger startup, perhaps. <laughs> but we're only two and a half years old. And as a pediatrician, I think about our terrible twos when we're going through it. And we're going through quite a bit. And it's an exciting time to be working in AI. So the way I like to simplify what we're trying to do is if you think about healthcare. And you look at the history of medicine, and I remember in undergrad, at, uh, when I was at Yale, I took a class in the history of medicine, and I thought about, amazing, as I thought about becoming a physician, I looked at the history, and what is this? This is one of the first stethoscopes that was created. Doctors used to listen with their ears when they listened to hearts and lungs and abdomens. And then uh, Dr. Rene Lenek created one of the first stethoscopes about 200 years ago. So what I like to say, at a simple way, what AI is meant to be, it's a big data stethoscope. It's meant to bring personalized insights from that big data, personalized to that individual, whether it's a patient, a provider, a payer, a government. You think about how things are consolidating in healthcare. I love the feedback that was given. I mean, I see the same thing. So we are creating together big data stethoscopes. And perhaps it's a bit physician-centric, but this is a physician-centric group, so that's what I'm referring to here. So this is an important slide that I think highlights some pieces. And then next I'll talk about the, some of the competitors and some of what's going on in terms of the different stakeholders. But this ultimately is, with meaningful use, and I was in the federal government with the Recovery Act and the creation of ONC and the efforts around meaningful use, and I remember hoping and believing that some of the work we were doing was going to lead to you know, better health outcomes or efficiencies. But now all that data is in formats. And when I worked in community health centers, you know, when I came right out, it's all paper-based. And we went through a number of transformations with EMRs in the different health centers I worked at. But it's about that data. It's about all that data now being available. It's big data. But big data alone is not sufficient. And it's also about all these stakeholders. So as you think, and I like to say, if you're not at the table, what are you? You're probably on the menu. And in many ways, I would suggest that providers and physicians have not been at the table of healthcare. They have not been there to be able to participate in the transformations that often occur to them, 
not with them. And so there's a huge important opportunity to think about those stakeholders. I call it the seven Ps. I think about all you just were mentioning, Aetna and, and CVS. That's a, that's a payer. You were mentioning employers. There's a group of employers, the Health Transformation Alliance, about 40 plus employers, about maybe 6 million covered lives coming together. That's a form of a purchaser. If you think about providers consolidating Ascension and, and you know, Providence and all these, you know, these groups are consolidating, they're trying to work in the system. Policymakers are trying to figure it out. The FDA, all the FDAs. As I look at IBM, I get to see amazing policies and regulatory perspectives all across the globe. And it's fascinating to see whether it's Japan or Germany or the UK or Kenya and see how different things are approached as it relates to digital health. And then product manufacturers, the people who create the products, the Medtronics who are here, or the, the pharma companies. And then the pioneers, the people here who are looking to find that place where they can connect and disrupt. So you have to think about all these different stakeholders. And it's complicated because so many have so much to gain and so much to lose as things transform inevitably. And things do restlessly change in healthcare. And ultimately, we do have a common goal to help patients, to help those populations. And we do have this big challenge in big data to translate the variety of data, the variety of data. And I would suggest, and I saw this firsthand serving underserved communities, social determinants of health, health literacy, the broader issues of access. What I like to say health is about home, education, access to healthy choices, labor and employment, transportation access, a holistic view of health that's physical, mental, social, purpose, and really connected. In healthcare, we've kind of missed a lot of that data. We don't have access to a lot of that information, that data that I believe has a huge impact on health outcomes, on improving the health of populations, which is all we want for those patients, for those populations. So the variety of data you bring together is very important. The volume of that data is extraordinary. Previously, we didn't have the capacity to store all that data. Now that exists. The velocity of that data, if you think about all the wearables, and I know uh, Daniel Kraft will talk about it, all the different instrumentations, all the opportunities, I believe there should be eventually a home health system, not just a home security system. Think about all the data that's collected in some kind of way, and you need to get consent. But you could see, as I think about my father living in DC with my mother, and they're relatively old, I want to get predictive insights to when they might not be feeling well. And I suspect their home security system has some insights based on their predictive patterns of how they move and how those different uh, monitors and those, those surveillance things go on or off, or how often they use the kitchen or go into the kitchen, or how long they sleep and stay in their bedroom when they're supposed to sleep. So there's many opportunities to think about the velocity of the data that occurs. And in healthcare, we only get maybe 10 encounters, or as I look at the data that we have with Truven, the average number of claims you get per person might be 15 to 20 a year. And there's so much more that happens in health beyond just those claims. The veracity of that data, junk in, leads to junk out, and the value of that data, which of course we're all facing. So to me, this is a key piece. How do we translate and leverage AI to translate data into insights that are personalized to all those different stakeholders. We all are at the table of transparency, hopefully, of looking at that data together and figuring out our respective roles. Some people are frightened by that because they think this, their part of the pie will get smaller. Some people think, you know, and get excited, it'll get bigger. 
So there's a huge opportunity to leverage AI to bring truth and insights from that big data. And these are the key decisions people have to make. Where am I going to put that data? I mean, the fundamental thing about healthcare is trust. And the fundamental thing about AI is about trust. Do I trust the AI system? If I, as a physician, am going to leverage an AI system, how do I trust that system? So where do I put that data on? Where do I put all that personal health information? What cloud will I put it on? And of course, there are a number of people looking to put, have that data that you have access to for your patients on their cloud. They're looking also at what content you're combining there, the variety of data that I told you about that's so essential, publicly available data, proprietary data. The variety of data, I think, is so essential to get the right insights. And then what cognitive or AI systems can be on top of that cloud to bring the right insights? As we have startups and others, how do you create an open platform where people can innovate, can make mistakes, can continue to iterate and improve their AI offerings? And then who are you going to partner with? Who are you associated with? And how does that play an important role in the trust? And then the clinical evidence. And we've been highlighting this more and more at IBM and Watson Health, because we're a technology company that's becoming a healthcare technology company. And in many ways, we have a number of healthcare professionals that we have recruited and we continue to recruit because we recognize in order to be effective in this space, in order to build that trust with you, in order to be connected, we've got to translate the technology into a healthcare situation and vice versa. So this is basically the fundamentals of AI in terms of what a human can do and what an AI system can do. And this is very important to think about, how you can be helped addressing the issues that, frankly, you shouldn't be doing. Pattern recognition, broader things of locating knowledge, locating that study, thinking about the fact that I just came back you know, on the flight, and I'm a little tired. And there are moments where we're all tired. How can we leverage an AI system to provide that actionable insights, that augmented intelligence to the provider at the point of care, to leverage that big data into key insights that are personalized to you. And this is pretty much the last slide. What I want you to see here, as we think about AI, and the number of people have mentioned that AI is you know, potentially the end of humanity, and there's, there is a huge responsibility we all have in AI to speak up to state a perspective. And here's a little bit of the way we've thought about it, IBM has thought about it, that this idea of what is the purpose of AI. It is not to replace people, it is to help people. So we call it augmented intelligence. That's a very key piece. And some folks, now, will it replace some activities that humans do, like orthopedic surgeons do, that are fairly you know, time-consuming and you want more time with your patients? Perhaps. You have to tell us what those things could or should be. But ultimately, it is to help people be at the top of their capabilities, the top of their training. There is a transparency that's essential here. And if you're working with AI companies and partners who aren't being transparent about how the system was trained, what data was being used, what biases, I believe, that are part of that data, that's a very important piece. Transparency, a glass box, not a black box. And then the third area is what skills. This, how do you bring these together? And this will change, and I believe in the future, and we're already on this, that in the same way that a healthcare team has a broad diversity of healthcare professionals, a nutritionist, a social worker, a pharmacist, you will have data scientists embedded in that team. And their responsibility, machine learning experts and AI experts, their responsibility would bring insights out of that data that you could have never thought of. 
I didn't understand there was a whole science around machine learning and AI. And I'm now you know, encountering those folks every day my colleagues at IBM, it's extraordinary. What they know, how they were trained, and how they bring something out of that data is not beyond the traditional regression analyses, beyond the traditional health services and health economics research. So that's a very important piece as well. The last visual I have is this is a demonstration. Now, do I have right now a demonstration of AI in orthopedics? This is why this group is coming together. But this idea of bringing data from an EMR, bringing it out, and then putting, you know, with a huge chart, a cancer patient chart, bringing the right criteria and data into a system that helps you find a clinical trial, to help you find the right treatment recommendations that should be based on the most recent literature or guidelines that are customized, that might even personalize to what you are uniquely interested in. It might be customized to your publications that you think are top tier journals versus someone else's and those publications you value, or those guidelines that you value, or that type of practice pattern you value. But this idea of bringing it at the point of care is what we've done with Memorial Sloan Kettering, and it's just a demonstration with transparency, showing the articles, showing the information, and letting the human make the decision. And so as I think about the health disparities time, and I think when we build this work and this world of AI with AI, we do have to think about the implications of how this will impact health disparity populations. Places where there aren't orthopedic surgeons, where there aren't enough oncologists. And it'll be, it'll be challenging to determine what the ethics are as it relates to how we endeavor to support those patient populations who have cancer, who have orthopedic issues, where there aren't the specialists that we have in, country, in, in San Francisco. So that's pretty much my little more than my 10 minutes. But I also brought a bunch of clinical evidence. This is very essential. I'm not going to go over it. But it is important that we build the clinical evidence. One of the challenges with an AI system, if it continues to learn and improve, it's not like a drug. It's not static. So doing studies get more challenging because you've got a system that continues to improve. Also, the complexity of human decision-making is a lot more complicated than you know, the people who definitely take a drug or don't take a drug. So there are lots of opportunities to evolve the science as it relates to AI and the clinical evidence here. So, thank you. So I'm Ralph Gonzalez, and I'm a general internist by training and a clinical researcher, quality improvement researcher. And just over the last few years, I've taken on a role as the chief innovation officer for UCSF Health. And Stefano asked me to give you a um, perspective from the delivery system about where are the pain points, uh, completely AI agnostic, that we are focusing on as a delivery system. And, and you may wonder or ask, why, uh, why would you ask a chief innovation officer to talk about that? And so I, I just want to describe that the role that the chief innovation officer plays at UCSF Health is one that is embedded in the delivery system and trying to innovate from the inside out. So by understanding our problems at the front lines, what are the physicians and nurses and staff dealing with every day, um, as we come up with solutions for those problems, that's where the innovation emerges. So I think of it as inside-out innovation. I oversee our continuous process improvement uh, efforts, and so uh, helping to make strategic investment decisions 
from the organizational perspective about how to train and develop our people, and then where do we invest in programs and technology that is going to have a direct impact on UCSF Health is where I, I sort of spend a lot of my time uh, with a lot of different department leaders. Um, and so, so to cut to the chase, there's five areas, I think, that uh, emerge as, as particularly uh, major areas of, of investment and, and uh, concern for UCSF Health. And it's no surprise that the companies that were up here just a few minutes ago are all working in this space. Uh, and and it probably speaks to why they're being as successful as they are. So the first uh, is the cost of care. So healthcare costs are spiraling. Um, Many, many of those, uh, many, much of that rise in healthcare costs has been uh, attributed to some of the advancements in technologies and treatments that academic medical centers are are producing through all of the great research we're doing. Um, but the other key piece with the cost of care is that we don't have a, a payment system that uh, covers the cost of care. And so, uh, we, in a fee for service, if we were purely risk based. Uh, like Kaiser or, or some of these other large uh, uh, health systems, then uh, the, uh, what you invest in makes total sense. But in a fee-for-service system, we're often dealing with treatments and, and procedures that are not being covered adequately by Medicare and Medicaid, which covers 40% or represents 40 or 50% of our population. Um, and so we, we expect the commercial payers to then uh, cover the, the balance sheet there so that we can break even. And so what are the root causes of, of, of the cost of care problem? So number one, the new treatments. So when you have life-saving treatments like CAR T cells that are coming out now, where we've taken a 20, an 80% mortality in, in lymphoma patients and leukemia patients and turning that into a 20% mortality, uh, you have to offer that treatment. But you can't force the payers to pay for the full price of that treatment, which is about half a million dollars per treatment course over about a six to eight week period. So you have to make decisions around the value proposition for those types of uh, treatments and technologies, and you have to balance that across the entire population that you're serving. And so tech companies and, and AI needs to take into account what is the value proposition for the work you're going to do, and ideally, will it help to lower our, uh, the healthcare cost for that, for that area that it's working in? Um, the other key piece uh, is that our safety our, and our quality events continue to be a problem in the hospital with prolonged length of stay, and we haven't gotten a good handle on that. We've, we've, had, we've seen some modest reductions, but in terms of a space that can help us reduce our cost of care, one of the key root causes is adverse events and safety events in the hospital that keep patients uh, longer than, than is necessary. And then end-of-life care continues to be another key space that we're focusing a lot of efforts in. Uh, when you look at health care costs for a population, a big chunk of those happen at the end of life. And some of that seems logical because, you know, at what point do you decide it's end-of-life or are you still saving lives? Um, that's where I think having better decision-making tools could be really helpful to make those decisions uh, better. Um, the second area is physician burnout. And, uh, and anything we do today, uh, if it contributes more to physician stress or staff stress, is, is not going to be uh, adopted into the delivery system. And the physician burnout piece has been particularly accelerated with the advances and the improvements in data uh, that we've seen with the EMR and with uh, all of these new tools. And so uh, doctors right now are spending, if, especially if they're ambulatory doctors, are spending one to two hours outside of the office 
uh, documenting and managing population level data that's coming in from patients through their electronic portals for every hour that they're seeing patients in, in, in the office. And then you add on top of that the changing complexity of the patients over, as our, we continue to see our population's age. And you're taking what used to be uh, sort of a, a three-problem appointment time and trying to manage ten problems in that three-problem appointment time and not getting any change in payment as a, as a result of that. And so that, that's created a real, real challenge, uh, but also maybe an opportunity for AI to help us better manage uh, patients' uh, uh, when they're in the office. The, the, thir the third area, I would say, is population health, and that came out across really well with the tech companies. Uh, most of us, uh, most of the delivery systems are fee-for-service systems. We don't have the tools that you need to appropriately manage patients uh, in the community. The communication platforms uh, are really... Uh, still suffering from uh, understanding what's happening with patients between office visits. We do a pretty good job uh, documenting what happens when they show up and maybe what happens on, on a portal, uh, but there's so much more that happens with patients in populations that we don't know about. The fourth area, some, I think uh, uh, Q mentioned, social determinants of health. When we look at who are the patients that are having the greatest, the biggest outliers in our hospital costs or the patients that we're, we feel like we're still underperforming with regard to quality and outcomes, a lot of this gets, uh, gets associated with social determinants of health. And as a delivery system, we, we, we don't uh, measure social determinants of health very easily and we have very little control over them. But from a, a global health perspective, if we can find better tools and, and strategies for mitigating the impact of social determinants of health on these patient populations, that will be a big, a big winner. And then the last one I think AI has been working in for a while, but I'll just mention is misdiagnosis and lack of diagnosis. And, and that's because we frequently uh, admit patients to the hospital. We don't know what's wrong with them. We run tests. We make a hypothesis, we start treating that hypothesis, and then we see what happens, and then we go to something else if things don't turn out the way you think they're supposed to turn out. Um, and we, don't have, we still, with all the data that we have, we're still, we still don't have a good handle on understanding how prevalent and, and common this is and what kind of benefits we can see by earlier intervention and treatment by using tools that can give us better predictive ability to, to manage all of the different data streams that we have to make better diagnosis and, and make better treatment decisions. Um, and so I, I, I continue to leave that on the table because from an institutional perspective, we want to improve our, our, our outcomes, and, uh, and part of that is going to require that we change some of our paradigms around how we uh, diagnose and treat patients. So that's a 30,000-level that's a view of our five areas, and um, hopefully during the Q&A uh, with Ben, we can get into more granular detail about how AI can help uh, address some of these things. All right, that was Dr. Q. Ree, the Chief Health Officer of IBM Watson Health, and Dr. Ralph Gonzalez, who's the Associate Dean for Clinical Innovation and Chief Innovation Officer at UCSF. Just a reminder, you can visit the DocSF website to watch the videos of that session. There's also about 15 minutes of Q&A that's on the video, but we didn't include it in this audio episode. Head over to docsf.health and select Watch Past Events to view all the sessions from this podcast series, as well as a few others that didn't get made into podcasts. 
Next up is a fireside chat with four outstanding thought leaders, and they take on the topic of robotics, which is also a prelude to the sessions taking place at DocSF 2019. That episode's coming up next. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.